Welcome to Painting Corners, your weekly podcast for all things baseball. Now, here are your hosts, Austin Hartsfield and Dave Kwiatkowski. Welcome to episode five of Painting Corners. Five, uh, we didn't have any game five, so let's go ahead and jump into the NLDS. Dave, you're with me again, Dave Kwiatkowski. Hello, sir. How are you? Same shit, different day. That's true. That's true. Same shit, different day. So let's go uh, series by series real quick. Quickly recap the DSs. Uh, Astros take care of business really quick. Like it wasn't even a contest. Yeah, we'll start off in the AL. The probably the where the powerhouses are this year. No disrespect to the National League, but the Astros showed why they're the defending champs. They showed why they won their division. They showed why they're favorites against the Red Sox coming up in the ALCS. They sweep Cleveland. They finished off in Cleveland with a thumping 11-3, to I believe. And their starting pitchers were looking great. Keiko looked okay. And by okay, he did exactly what Porcello did, which was pitch really well for five innings against a good team. So the Astros continue to roll. The train keeps rolling through above the stadium and uh, on the diamond for them. I hate that train. Uh, I love the train. Send the train, baby. Uh, so let's go to the other ALDS. We took care of business. Yeah, you know, the Red Sox, are our Boston Red Sox here at Painting Corners. We do have a little bias here, even though we're a national coverage podcast. Especially on the Twitter. The Twitter is very skewed. The the Twitter, you know, you got to take it for what it is. We we like the Red Sox around here, and they took care of the Yankees the first time that those two teams have ever met in the ALDS, which is an absolute mind-blowing stat. They've been playing baseball against each other for 100 years. They've never met in the divisional series. It didn't disappoint. It didn't go five games, but it was a very entertaining four games. Games one and two in Fenway, very back and forth. Either team could have had them. Game three was an absolute blowout. It was good for every single team watching, probably except for Yankee fans, as they got beat 16-1, to the worst loss in franchise history for the Yankees. And game four was a nail-biter at the end, but it wasn't really close until that ninth inning. I think it was 4 nothing going into that ninth inning, and Kimball made it interesting. Yeah. 4-1. wasn't very close, though, as Porcello pitched great, the Penn pitched great, Chris Sale came out in the eighth inning, very Madison Bumgarner-esque from their World Series against the Royals coming out of the pen. It was for about four innings with Bumgarner then, but Sale could have went through the ninth and probably dominated the lineup just the same. I mean, Sale came in, dominated, did his thing, and then uh, we popped bottles after Kimball tried to give it away. Yeah, Kimball just wanted to make it interesting. Gary Sanchez almost hit a pop-up Grand Slam at a Yankee Stadium, which I love watching Christian Vasquez hit a 339-foot game-winning home run. If anyone had that pegged for the beginning of the season, uh, how the Red Sox would win the ALDS against New York in New York. But enough about discussion about the Red Sox. Red Sox win that series 3-1, to one, move on to play the Astros at home. We're going to jump over to the National League, where another absolute bloodbath of a series, the Brewers and the Rockies. Yikes. The Brew Crew stays hot. They've won 11 in a row. They swept the Rockies. They had a walk-off, I believe, in Game 1. Was it Austin? Uh, yes, Mike Moustakas. Moose, exactly. A team that, a player that a lot of teams had interest in, but a team that I never thought would get them was the Brewers because they had Travis Shaw. They moved Travis Shaw over to first base. The Merritt Ding Dong Series have an absolutely huge infield, especially corner infielders. They win that series. Their bullpen dominated. Their lineup dominated. I'd say it's the Beckett's the second best lineup behind maybe the Dodgers in the NL out of the, out of all the teams that were in the DS and 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 stuff like that. And it's close. The Rockies, I thought, you know, I had them winning in five. 
you know, hand up. I, I had, was really I had four. wrong. I had four. Really wrong. You know, I thought they had a little magic to them. I want to be a little different than everyone picking the Brew Crew. I won't make that mistake again, as the Brewers just absolutely dominated that series from start to finish, really. It was like they had a chip on their shoulder a lot, like this Christian Yelich MVP season. Basically, the Marlins didn't want him, so he just wanted to prove to everybody that uh, he was a damn good player. And the, I think the Brewers have proved that to me. They've proved it to you. Pretty much proved it to the rest of the league, and uh, they're on to the NLCS. Yeah, and I mean, Christian Yelich was one home run away from the cycle, uh, away from the Triple Crown this year, which is uh, a very good feat. One home run, one RBI away. Yeah, and that's that's incredible. We almost had two Triple Crowns this year, which is absolutely in, insane. Yeah. So next series was something that I believe I hit right on the head. Dodgers, Atlanta in four. I believe I said that. So I made up for that as after the ugly uh, Rockies Brewers. The Dodgers looked really good against a team that I said would lose regardless of who they played. You know, Atlanta was young, the baby Braves. These pitchers, I mean, you look at some of the pitchers that came in for the Red Sox. You know, look at Ryan Brazier in game one, threw the ball everywhere where, but where it was supposed to go. And, you know, you look around the league at some of these guys that came in, first-year guys, rookies that were young besides Acuna, Acuna, and they struggled in their first game. But the problem was that a lot of first games like that in Atlanta, as they had Fultzy, San. Sanchez, Wood, I mean, they had a bunch of first-time guys. There are guys that haven't pitched there in a long time. And they got beat by the Dodgers. I mean, they got shut out in the first two games. They didn't score a single run. So they got pretty much dominated through that series. And it, it wasn't even close. Like, Dodgers came in with that we've-been-here attitude and we're trying to get back and just dominated the Baby Braves in pretty much every single statistical category. Not a fun series to watch. I mean, the Braves showed up in Game 3 just – just to kind of put on a show, I think Major League Baseball is kind of cringing after this division series just because of the fact that they didn't have any Game 5s. And no Game 5s. And, and it no, has to make and, yeah. just Rob Manford just roll over at this point. Oh, money-wise? Absolutely. I mean, they they had two sweeps and no Game 5s. It's almost worst-case scenario when it comes to league-wise. And that Atlanta game, that Game 3, you know, they won it 6-5, to five, but, I mean, they had one hit. It was Acuna, his Grand Slam, who's an absolute monster he's a freak but you know he if you know you take that one hit away and they didn't really do much no no no. and really i mean it was like the first round of the basketball season if you think about it everything was either a sweep or it went five games there was no really competitive series it was just actually pretty much embarrassing it was and you know very rarely other than the nba do you see you know the one and two seed make it to the championship series right but that's what you have this year. You have the, you know, Brewers who won the National League after that playing game with the Cubs and the Dodgers are the two seed. Playing and then game. on the other side, yep, playing game. And on the other side, you have the Red Sox who were the league winners. You know, they won the MLB with 108 wins. And then you had the number two team in baseball, which is the Houston Astros and the number two team in the AL. So this could be a very interesting matchup you could have two number one seeds you could have a one and two you could have two number twos going into the world series doesn't happen often that it doesn't we're gonna get back to the playoffs here in a second i want to talk about dd just for a second dd gregorius having tommy john surgery yeah just brought up at as we were prepping for this pro for this podcast twitter exploded with yankee shortstop dd having tommy john aaron boone says he thinks he's gonna play a chunk of more than a chunk of the season for the Yankees, which I find hard to believe. I believe it's a one-year to date. 
surgery similar to an ACL. Now I know he's a shortstop and you know, maybe a little bit differently, doesn't have to throw the ball 100 but it's miles not. an hour, 100 Where's times Corey a game. Seager? Exactly. Where's Corey Seager? I mean, he also had that knee or hip thing as well. So maybe that kept them out longer as two, but I don't think he's going to play next year. And if he does, it won't be till well after the all-star break. I mean, you've got to think Manny Machado is going to be in New York, right? Manny Machado, maybe trade for a guy like Elvis Andrews. Uh, Glaber, I guess, will probably move over. Maybe Torres plays second next year. That sounds so weird. But I guess, no, Neil Walker could move back to his uh, original position. But, I mean, they're running out of options. Yeah, I mean, realistically, I think if they go get Manny Machado, which I think at this point they will, Didi's coming up on a contract year. He's going to want close to 15 20 million dollars he already makes 10 and he needs an upgrade he had a career year this year you know regardless of playing in yankee stadium or not he still did it and he's not a defensive liability out there either so i think Manny machado yeah good range i think Manny machado ends up in new york he's the perfect yankee in my opinion and i think you see a guy like andihar or torres go to first realistically i don't think machado goes to third per se but i wouldn't be surprised to put you know, somebody at one of those young guys at first base. You don't know what you're getting out of Greg Bird at this point. You really don't. Yeah, and even the fan base is done with Greg Bird. The fan base is kind of done with Greg, Greg Bird. And, you know, the Yankee fans are similar to Red Sox fans where they overreact after the first couple times, for better or for worse, right? But, you know, I think that they move somebody over. And, and they just have this liability. And there's liability. He needs to grow just like Devers does in Boston. But... I think if you move Andahar at first, and can Torres play third? If not, Manny Machado can play third. You play third base well. Put Glaber at short, Andahar at first, figure out a second baseman. But he's not a third baseman, Dave. That's true. Manny Machado's not a third baseman. He did say that before he was traded out of Baltimore with that lovely attitude that he had, and then directly went over to the Dodgers and played a little third base. Yeah, so that's enough of Yankee talk. Touched on in a second. They still they still have Hechevarria, which, I mean, he made a pretty good play at third. But uh, let's go ahead and get back to the championship series. Where do you want to start? Let's start. Uh, let's start in the juggernaut, right, let's right in the thick of it. Yeah. I mean, you have arguably two of the best teams in the past. I don't know, 10, 20 years. Something like that. In the AL, definitely going the against five. each other. Definitely the five. I mean. You look back at the 2001 Mariners, they won 116 games. They broke the major league record. They lost in the ALCS, I think in like five or six. Like it wasn't, it wasn't really close. And they weren't competitive either. They, they weren't competitive either. So that team won 116. This Red Sox team, the closest AL team to do it in a while, right? The Dodgers won like 112 a couple years ago. Yeah. And this, this Red Sox team, that Dodger team, this Houston team, some of the best teams in the last 10, 15 years going up against each other in the LCS. I mean, this is like a World Series matchup in the second round. So the Houston Astros are favored against the 108-win Red Sox. Thoughts? Uh, we, have t- we actually have two different opinions on this. We do. Uh, I think that they should be favored. They're the defending world champions. They had more major injuries than we did, in my opinion, outside of, like, Chris Sale. You know, and, like, guys like that. 
I mean, well, Springer was hurt this year at one point. Correa was hurt this year for a long time, actually. Altuve was hurt this year. And it's just, I think if they have all of their guys healthy, right? Like, you know, we say it all the time, if we could turn injuries off, I think they actually have a better season than we do. Because I just think that their rotation's a little better. And I think the lineup is equal or maybe a bit better just because of their six through nine guys. Yeah, I mean, I think their lineup, I think, I think you could say that the lineups are a toss-up, right? You can kind of pick and choose where you want. I think that the pitching staff is better in Houston, it, even if it is by a little bit. You could say a lot, you could say a little, whatever you want. Regular season, David Price was unbelievable this year, so you can't take that away from him when you're comparing that and you're comparing, you know, regular seasons. Right. The reason we have two different opinions is I think that the Red Sox should be favored. They beat the Yankees, who were a better team than Cleveland, won more games than Cleveland, you know, have better home field advantage than Cleveland. Playing in New York is a lot harder than playing in Cleveland. And the Red Sox beat them three to one. They handed the Yankees their worst postseason loss ever, 16 to one. They lost by 15 runs at home in New York. And the Red Sox had Xander Bogarts out for two plus weeks, Mookie Betts out for two plus weeks, Chris Sale out for a month plus, and all other little injuries in between there as well. Raphael Devers, Christian Vasquez, David Price missed two or three starts. Like if the Red Sox had all their guys, I think they would have won 120 games this year. Yeah. And so we're not too far off. Not too far off. I think Houston would have won 115 or 16 this year if they if their injuries were off, right? And that's with Oakland surging the way they did. Just like Tampa also surged. I mean, if you go look at post All Star break numbers, I'm sure Oakland and Tampa had very similar records. Tampa just dug themselves a way deeper hole than Oakland did. But this team, these both these teams are very similar. Top of the lineup probably better in Boston, bottom of the lineup and overall lineup better in Houston. You can pick which one you'd rather have. Bullpen-wise, I'm going to give it to Houston just because of Ozuna, but the Red Sox usually hit Ozuna pretty well, so that should be interesting. They're a new closer. And pitching staff-wise, if David Price can pitch in game two like he did all year, I'll give it to the Red Sox. If he can't, I'm going to give it to Houston. Yeah, we need David Price to show up. It's uh, Yeah, just plain and simple. He's the X Factor. Are you shocked that he is pitching game two, starting it? Yes, very. Especially considering the well. success that, that he had last year. But he had success against them this year in the regular season, so it's like I understand where Core is coming from. But he's got demons, man. The guy's the guy's just got demons. It's like Smoltz in the early '90s, whenever he couldn't pitch in the playoffs and couldn't figure out why. Dude needs to figure it out. See a shrink. Do anything possible to fix your fix your psyche. Yeah, absolutely. He has a lot of monkeys on his back, if you will. Right. That that's a term that people use all the time. Still, it's a good term. He has to get those monkeys off his back as a start. He's got to get a win. Not even get a win. Just pitch a quality start. You know, go six, seven innings, give up two or three runs, one, none. Just get a quality start into your belt so you could say, listen, I gave you seven innings, two runs. You scored one. That's not my fault. He needs to do that. He hasn't done that since, two, I don't even know when, 2013, 12, 14, something like that. And he didn't get the win in that game either. 2014, that's when it was. So it's been a long time for David Price. The one thing that is interesting about David Price in playoff games where the temperature is 45 to 55 degrees, he's pitched nine innings and has been lights out. Absolute lights out. Yep, he's been absolutely lights out in those circumstances. People always say about his 
you know, it, you know, his tingly fingers, you know, Jared Carabas has that, that nickname for, for, uh, David Price, Davy tingle fingers, but he always complains about the cold and everything like that. But when he has the opportunity to pitch in that specific window, which it will be for the Red Sox, then that will be the, you know, projected, I guess, uh, temperature going into the game. It's going to be around there and he's, and he's lights out there. So this is the best opportunity he has to get it done. I, I, I say by far, He's playing against a team he dominated last year out of the bullpen, and he's playing at home. So two things big for Chris, uh, not Chris Sale, for David Price. Yeah, uh, let's talk about the lineups real quick and about just how scary that Houston lineup really is. Oh, it's terrifying. There's no outs. There's like, no, there's, not really. Maybe there's no, maybe no immediate outs. It's like one through nine when you get down to if basically Tony Kemp plays, and even Tony Kemp hits as well. Yeah, everyone does. And Kemp's fast. Like very fast. Like Dave really Roberts fast. faster. Yeah, Dave Roberts faster is, is a great way to put it. And uh when you have that type of thing going on, not not good for, you know, us anywhere for easy outs, right? But here's the thing. We got great defensive catchers, regardless if it's Sandy, regardless if it's Vasquez. Hell, even Blake Swihart has a better pop time and arm speed than San Leon, who is widely renowned as one of the catchers. We have the best. We have some of the best defense in the league. JBJ should win a Gold Glove this year. Mukiari has two. Ben Attendee's going to have multiple as he as he gets older. Infield wise, you know, Xander Bogarts is a Gold Glover. Mitch Moreland is a Gold Glover. Second, Kinsler's a Gold Glover. Third base is a question mark, but other than third base, it's it's pretty good. So I'm not worried about defensively. I guess the monster helps us out here because these line drives they're going to hit could just be long singles. Yeah, especially since they're used to pulling in, pulling them all into the Crawford boxes. Good news. Exactly. Uh, Jose Altuve won't hit three home runs in the first game this year. No? No. Not with that wall. <laughs> I really hope he doesn't. Yeah, me either. So, yeah, I mean, lineup-wise, it's scary. But, you know, who do you think? Flat out, who do you think is going to win? Uh, whatever comes out of our mouth, it's either it's either homerish or we're just being negative is the problem. It's not, that's how it's viewed at least. And socks and seven. Yeah, same socks and seven. And it's not even a homer thing. It's seven game series. If the Astros win in seven or the Sox win in seven, I mean, it's a toss up, right? That that's there's what it comes a, there's down a to. scenario though where the Astros win in five. Yep. There no, there absolutely is. There's also a scenario. That the Red Sox win in four or five. God, I would love that. The Red Sox have gotten to Verlander before in the playoffs. That's what ben I keep trying to tell people, and they're like, year. well, that, that hasn't been in five years. I'm like... Oh, last year. Yeah, I was like, it happened last year. He came out of the bullpen, and Ben Attendee hit a long bomb, lefty-lefty, to take the lead in game four. Yeah, it was go-ahead, so it wasn't like yeah. it was nothing. Yeah, it wasn't a nothing home run, no pressure. It was go-ahead home run, and you have Chris Sale, who's dominating... This postseason, David Price pitched well against Houston last year in the playoffs. I have a suggestion. What's your suggestion? Uh, Chris Sale not throw one goddamn pitch to Alex Bregman. Yeah, that's a great suggestion. I said we just walk him. Like at this point, you know, the big joke is that he's his dad. It's it's no, a that's thing. True. It's a thing. Yeah, that's true. Everyone's got their kryptonite. That's Chris Sale's. Yeah, David Price's just so happens to be like when the clock hits or when the calendar hits October, but. David Price is basically a gremlin at this point. He has rules. 
Yeah, he, he literally rules. has rules. He can't pitch Dude, against just the like Yankees in Oct- yep. normally. Yep. He literally is a gremlin. That is the best comparison that we can give to David Price. Moving on to the NLCS, we have the Dodgers and the Brewers. The Brewers were probably the hottest team in baseball. They've won 11 in a row. They won a play-in game. They swept their NLDS series. They're, 5-0 with Gio look, on the mound. Yeah, 5-0 Gio on They look unstoppable right now. Yeah, and I don't know why we didn't see it coming. I mean, they had won, what, six coming into the play-in game? Yeah. And played well in all the games that even that they lost. Yeah, so I don't I don't know what we missed there, how we missed it, but I mean Christian Yelich is showing why he's the MVP. He just continues to produce even in the postseason, and uh, it's very impressive, very impressive. It is. I think we might have missed it because of their starting lineup. Or it's rotation. very uh, um their, their rotation. Yeah, it's very weak. Gio Gonzalez demons in October. Wade Miley. Has anyone ever been afraid of Wade Miley? Yikes. Ever. Yeah, exactly. So the that's their one and two in the LCS. Yeah, the no, it's, not it's not exactly sale price or, you know, Verlander, Cole. Cole, yeah, or even Kluber, Carrasco. You know, it's not, it's not that scary. But what is scary is Josh Harder and that bullpen and the lineup. The lineup is relentless at the top. It's it's absolutely just it's going to be very very hard to stop. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it's going to be really good. And on the other side, you have a team that in the last six years has dominated the AL West. This year they had to play a playing game, but they still won the division. So hats off to them. They went through a ton of injuries this year. I think everybody had the Dodgers dead at you know probably very for the All Star break that they had the the Dodgers dead. I had the Dodgers dead there. Didn't know that the division was going to fall off the way they did. Arizona completely fell off the wagon. The Giants never had a shot in the first place, and the Rockies got hot late. So we also couldn't account the Dodgers, for the fact that they were going to trade for Manny Machado and Brian Dozier. Yeah, I mean they made big moves because they needed to. They needed to salvage that series. Their window was closing, and they know it. So they made the moves out there, and they had the money to do it. So why not? So this team is very similar to the Washington Capitals in hockey. The Washington Capitals the last two years have won the President's Trophy. They have Alexander Ovechkin, who is one of the greatest goal scorers, if not the greatest goal scorer of all time in the NHL. They never got past the second round with Ovi being their 10-plus years. Never did it. They lost to the Penguins the last two years. They've been up 3-1. They've been up in elimination games. They've choked every single time. Last year, they had no pressure. They didn't win the President's Trophy. They weren't the favorite. They weren't even the running-up favorite. They grinded through the playoffs. They got past the second round. They won the Stanley Cup in five games. This Dodger team is very similar for that to that for me. No expectations this year after all their injuries. They won their division, but not by much. Not even the best. Not even close to the best division in baseball. It's probably the fourth best division in baseball because the AL is completely better than the NL, and the NL Central is better than the West, with the East being the weakest in the NL. But they have experience. They have Walker Buehler pitching out of his mind. Kurt, Clayton Kershaw is Clayton Kershaw. If Kenley Jansen can come around to his normal self again, it's one of the best closers in the game, if not the best closer in the game. And they have a scary, very scary lineup, one through nine, which is, I think, better than the Brewers, one through nine. But they have to prove it at this point, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you think about it, right, they are 
Where did my train of thought go, man? <laughs> it's the worst. Like I, I literally had it, and then somebody texted me, and I looked down at my phone, and I was like, "Shit." I'm blowing it. Um, I don't fucking know. You say something. <laughs> I just said stuff for a while. Just take a second. Uh, I just talked for like two minutes. I, I just, I just made a, a what to. Oh, do you want to? Oh, and Nate, we got, just... we got to talk about Matt Kemp comeback season. Oh yeah, Matt Kemp was at one point an MVP favorite. Yeah, right? and or it's candidate. 2018. Yeah, that's true. Matt Kemp had an excellent season. One point, like you said, MVP favorite. Dude has completely rejuvenized this team after you know dying with the Braves and Padres for the last couple of years. And it has completely turned this franchise around. Not necessarily for like the past couple of years, right? You know, because they went to the World Series last year without him. But they lost their best player, in my opinion, best position player let's put it that way and one of my genuine favorite players in this entire league and Corey Seager and you know when that happens it just completely takes the wind out of your sails this team oh, 100%. with the injuries that they had this year had no business even sniffing the NLCS I mean Justin Turner was out for the whole first month Clayton Kershaw didn't look right for a lot of the year and Kenley Jansen Kenley Jansen's going through a lot of shit right now and he's oh, finally yeah. back and finally trying to get back to his original form. But this Dodger team, I think, exceeded expectations. It didn't exceed expectations from the beginning of the season, right? But, like, after the first two weeks of the season when, you know, it wasn't looking great, I think uh, I think Dodger fans should be proud of this team. Dodger fans should definitely be proud of this team. At the beginning of the year, they were kind of under the same belt as, like, the Strohs, Yankees, and Red Sox, which it was like, Kind of close to World Series or bust, right? Yeah. But with the injuries, they happen. It's real. It's real life. They, I don't think they were expected to even make the playoffs. And if they were, it was going to be like an NLDS kind of, you know, game four or five and lose. But they're crushing it. And here's my thing, though. I think Brewers in seven. Because I'm never going to pick the Dodgers until they actually prove that they can do it. Because in the last six years, they've probably been the best team in baseball. If you combine all six years, they've won their division. They've been to a World Series. They've been to multiple LCSs. They had the best pitcher. They've had some of the best position players. They have the ownership that wants to make trades and improve at the deadline in the offseason every single year. And they choke it away every year. Well, up until last year, they were like the Toronto Raptors of of Major League Baseball. Like they, yeah, win, make, they're going to yeah, win their division. Season. They're going to yep. go to the conference championship. They're going to lose. And, and you know it. You can book it. Yeah, and it's just they're gonna be there. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and, and now maybe they change that tide, but I'm not gonna pick them until they do it. And even if they win this series, they could sweep them. I'm not gonna pick them the World Series until they do it. And I think six years of watching the Dodgers choke and fail gives everyone the right to question them. I guess. Craig Council, the guy who I picked for my NL Manager of the Year in the preview show. Uh. Can he outmanage Dave Roberts? And I think the answer is yes. Well, yeah, of course. I think anybody can out outmanage Dave Roberts. I don't think he's a good in-game manager. I think he's good for the clubhouse. I think he's good for the, the morale and the boys. But when it comes to X's and O's, if you will, he's not that great. Kind of very similar to a John Farrell type where, you know, once he actually got into the game, he became useless. And I just don't think that Dave Roberts is going to steal a game. I think if anything, he might cost somebody a game. So... Yeah, I, th I think he can do it. Two best managers in baseball have been eliminated. 
to this point, in my opinion. If we're talking Tito, obviously, and then yep. uh, Joe Madden. <laughs> yeah, of course, Joe Madden. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think the best manager has been eliminated, obviously, which was Tito. I think after this year, the second best manager in the league's got to be Alex Cora already, right? No um, bias, no bolts, like no homer, no anything. I mean, what he did this year with injuries, with playing hunches. I mean, look what he did in the ALDS. Between the, the sad bullpen. part is the best manager might not even be in the playoffs if we're thinking about it. Are you gonna say Kevin Cash? I was gonna, I was gonna think about saying Kevin Cash, and then I thought about what a job that Bob Melvin did in Oakland, and he did make the playoffs. He did make the playoffs, and Bob Melvin did a, did a great job in with Oakland with that team. Yeah, with that team, and on paper that team looks awful. Very similar to the Rays, where on t- on paper their team looks awful. They're too. the Rays of the West. They are the Rays of the West, and both of those teams will be competing for a division spot next year, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Don't know if they'll win, but eh. they'll be doing it. But no, yeah, the Rays know. won't. <laughs> the Rays hopefully won't, and uh, you never know about Oakland. I think at, the Astros are an absolute wagon. But so, who do you got in this series? Brewers, you know, we just talked about the Dodgers a lot. We just we crew. just kind of shit on the Dodgers, so it's kind of hard for me to pick the uh, pick the Dodgers. So I think Brewers in six. Uh, I mean, I don't really know what to say. I mean, uh, I think the series MVP, you know, how they have NLCS MVPs. Yep. I think that's going to be uh, Josh Hader. Yeah, I, I'm going Brewers in seven. I think it will be a close game. I think L.A. does a nice choke job at the end like they usually do. I'm going to go series MVP Christian Yelich because why not? The guy's hot and... I know it's kind of the easy, the low-hanging fruit, but why wouldn't it be at this point? This is like Ortiz in 2013. He, you knew he was going to dominate. Christian Yelich has no sign of slowing down. If the Dodgers win it, though, in four, five, six, seven, doesn't matter, it's going to be Kershaw. Kershaw is going to be 100%. That, the MVP because he's going to pitch two or three games. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what. He's, gonna pitch, he's pitching two games. He will pitch game one and game five. If they make it to game seven, you'll see him. He, Unless it's a blow. He's going to have to be lights out. And Ryu's been great. Kershaw's been great. So it's like, when we look at it, starting pitching, edge Dodgers. Oh, big time edge. Not even a question. Managing edge Brewers, lineup edge Brewers. You think edge Brewers in the lineup? I I think think, one through nine Dodgers I honestly think without without having, now I'm like thinking, now I'm picturing that lineup in my head. Manny Machado's better than Corey Seager. Yikes. So, I mean, they replaced Corey Seager with a better version of himself. Yeah. Either way, it's close lineup-wise. doesn't matter who you pick. It's close. Yeah. I'm going Dodgers. You can go Brewers. Not a big deal. But lineup's close. Starting pitching's not close. Bullpen's not close. No, Bullpen's no, no. Especially with Kenley Jansen, like, at half, half health. Yeah. One game, great. One game, giving up back-to-back solo shots. You don't really know what you're getting out of, out of Jansen yet. So uh, you want to give X factors for each team? Yeah, X factor for start the NL just because we're already here. Yep, the X factor for the NL is going to be their whole starting pitching, just their starting pitching staff. I know it's not one specific person, but it kind of goes with the with the theme here of the Brewers. They need to get five or six innings out of their starters. If they go three innings, they're in trouble. Harder can't pitch four innings a night for seven games. It's not going to work. So I think that's their X factor. It's true. Dodgers? Dodgers X-Factor. I'm going with Clayton Kershaw. I think he needs to be lights out. He needs to carry this team to the playoffs. It's his team. He is 
he's been the best pitcher in baseball the last five years. He needs to show everybody that he is still that guy and that he came back from his injuries. And if he can lead this team to two wins, they can actually win the series. Uh, I think that Ryu is the big X factor for the Dodgers in this series, just because of the fact that if they can set the tone and get a big, big game two win, because it's what Kershaw, Geo yes. game one. Yep, and then Ryu Miley. So you have a really good chance to win game one, and then you have an opportunity to shut that team out while your team just loads up runs on Wade Miley. They could be up yep. 2-0 and still lose the series, honestly. Yeah. I mean, you got Hill in game four where, you know. Blister fingers. Blister fingers. You all know what you're getting out of him. And Bueller's been great, but, you know, still does he kid. fall off the wagon at some point? Exactly. So, but they can go up 2-0. So who's your X factor for the AL? For the AL, it is Uleski Gurriel. Ooh, that's because a good one. Because Uleski Gurriel, I think, hit north of 380 with runners in scoring position this year or something stupid like that. That's just that, yep. Yeah, it, it was absolutely just ridiculous. I mean, the guy always had guys on base. He was absolutely phenomenal. And if he can be like a cog in that machine, this Astros offense is absolutely unstoppable. If you yeah, want me to be... give a second one, right, Mookie Betts has to get going. Yeah, we can't. Yeah, yeah, we can't have what we've had in October in its entire career to this point and win this series. Everybody needs to be rolling. Everybody needs to be, you know, in sync. They need to be at peak performance in order to win this series because that's a good baseball team on the other side in Houston. That's not. That's no slouch. This is the ALCS. No, it's the second best team in, in baseball. It's the second best team in baseball and the second best team in American League. You're facing them in the ALCS. You have to show up. Mookie Betts needs to hit a home run flat, simple. I don't care if it's a solo shot. I don't care if it's a two-run shot. I don't care if it's a grand slam at the bottom of the lineup. He needs to hit a home run, and he needs to start slugging the ball. We can't have a Stanton performance out of him and get a bunch of singles. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not going to win it for us. Even though he bats out of the leadoff spot, I understand that. I'm not looking for 15 RBIs from him. I'm, I'm just for looking two. for some doubles and some home runs. Yeah. So I'm looking for. I need you to. Try, my, I need an RBI from you that's not from a walk. Exactly. Although I will take a base load walk, but I, I will. I, I totally love bases loaded walks because the thing that follows, I thoroughly enjoy too. Benetani with bases loaded, exactly. So my X factors for the Red Sox, it's not a hot take. It's David Price. Yep. But here's why it's David Price. If David Price pitches and wins Game Two. Yes, that gets the monkey off the back for him. Yes, that means maybe in the World Series, if they make it there, he's he's your guy again, whatever. But the Red Sox should be up 2-0 after that game. They have Chris Sale should going be. in game one. Chris Sale's pretty damn good. Justin Verlander, also pretty damn good. But the Red Sox have gotten to him in recent years, and even five years ago. As you can see with David Price, demons live on for a long time. Not saying that we're a, a demon for Verlander, but we're definitely a thorn in the side for them. David Price needs to pitch well because if he pitches well in games two, we could be up 2-0. Or we could be tied 1-1 because what if Sale loses? We need to get that win. Can't go down 0-2 to Houston. We won't come back to, to Boston. First team that wins a road game wins the series. Yes. Well, no, uh, I don't think so. I because think. if David Price pitches awful in game two, but the lineup shows up, then I'm not worried about that with the Red Sox. Because just like in you saw what they did in New York when they got decent starting pitching, right? You have to but, protect home field against this team. They Yeah. It's just it does suck this three in a row in Houston because it's just hard to hard to win. But 
David Price is my X factor because if he pitches game two well, you know you're going to see him again in game six. I think this series goes six or seven. So you're going to see David Price. You could see David Price on the mound in an elimination game at home. Yikes. Either for a chance to go to the World Series or a chance to force game seven so Chris Sale can take us there. So I think he's the X factor there. On the other side, I think it's Bregman. I think Bregman needs to continue to do what he does because he kills the Red Sox. He kills Chris Sale, and he's killed the whole league this year. If he continues to hit home runs, hit doubles, take walks, be a pest, and play great third base as well, they're going to roll. Just like Yuri Gurriel for you. I don't think their pitching staff is saying, like, no one's the X Factor there. You know what you're getting out of all of them. Their bullpen used to be the X Factor, but with Ozuna, it's pretty much locked up now. It's just to see if Ozuna can close the door against the Sox. I think a guy like Bregman, if he can continue to dominate, that's the biggest thing for them because you know you're going to get out of Springer. You know you're going to get out of Correa and Altuve, but... You even saw last year, I think it was Springer at one point, was like one for 16. Wasn't yeah, he like he wound up hitting well? seven home runs in the postseason. Yep, but at one point he was like seven for 20-something with seven home runs. So you never know with him, but you know if Bregman is consistent, it's a huge bat. It's very similar to Bogarts and J.D. Martinez, where if they get going, you already know you're going to get some singles and walks out of Mookie and Ben Attendee. If J.D.'s hitting homers or doubles, Xander's hitting doubles or home runs like he was in against the Yankees and just hitting the ball far in general— it makes the lineup work. Bregman's the same way for me. I enjoy playoff Benintendi, by the way. Playoff Benintendi's been great, and I'm not upset about it. Interview time. Uh, interview time. Yeah. He's a lot of fun, ain't he? It was a great interview. We've had great interviews, and they've all been great so far, but this one was just fun. He's yeah. just very talkative, very outgoing, and just a crazy kind of story. When you listen to this interview, I want—I think people will understand what I'm saying. He went very in depth in such a short period of time. Yeah, he did. We, we kind of, you know, we screen these interviews beforehand. We give him some questions. We kind of tell him where we're going to go with it. But you know, every one of these guys continues to surprise us. I mean, we had to release Dan's interview because it was an hour long because we just got on a rant. And this guy, this kid—I'm going to call him a kid because I'm young too. I'm only 26. Younger than I, I am. Myself, kid. Yeah. So, you know, great, great guy. And you can tell he's going to have a great future. Here is our interview with Oriole prospect Cameron Bishop. Enjoy it. All right, Cameron, who did you emulate growing up in Brea, California? Um, You know, I was an Angels fan growing up. So, I mean, for me, it was always David Eckstein. I know he's a he was a second baseman, shortstop kind of guy, but I mean, for me, you look at him and you see, I mean, short in stature, doesn't hit a lot of home runs, but he's always out there. And he's always he's sliding, he's diving, he's doing a lot of crazy things for his team. And and for me as a kid, it was like you see him and you kind of can see like yourself in him. So for, so I mean, just being able to, and he ended up he won I think he won the World Series with the Angels in 2002. So um, he was kind of like the the hustle, play hard kid. Um, because he didn't really have a lot of tools, I guess. So for me as a kid, it was like, oh, David Eckstein for sure. I think he was a World Series MVP in that World Series too. That- yeah, and I know, I know he was also um, with the Cardinals. I think when they won it. Yeah, with that um, with that you know, team too. Yeah, with that team too. So he's just a winner. So I mean, I obviously I have to emulate a winner. Obviously. Oh yeah, me too. I mean, why wouldn't you? So yeah. you pitch your college ball at UCI, the University of California, Irvine. What made you pick UCI, and what was your favorite memory there? Um, well, I was actually 
for me, it was I was actually a two-way player going into uh, high school, and and as most people were, and I wanted to continue that into college. And when I was going through the recruitment process, Irvine actually was recruiting me as a hitter first, and then a pitcher second. So when I was making my decision, I really wanted to hit. So um, when they said, "Oh, we'll let you hit for sure," like it's not an issue, and, and a lot of teams were more like. A lot of other colleges were we're gonna have you pitch, and then maybe we'll give you a try at hitting, which really means that I'm probably not gonna never gonna be able to hit. So um, I made that decision. I was like, all right, well they're gonna make they're gonna let me hit, they'll let me play a position, and then they'll try me out at pitching, or I'll be a pitcher. So for me, it was an easy decision. Hey, I'm gonna be a two way guy at UC Irvine. Um, and then sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was gonna say that's really cool. I mean, you don't see often guys that want to do two way, you don't see many Otanis, right? Coming up to the system and usually make that switch. So for you to wanna be pretty headstrong about that, but that's gotta be great for GMs that, you know, you're flexible and you wanna help out the team everywhere. Yeah, I mean I, I had I had a couple good things. I think I think when I got to Irvine I, I hit a little bit, but as like I kinda of transitioned more into like a pitching role, my hitting it was kind of put onto the side, which I was okay with because and when I started focusing more on pitching, my hitting really just kind of struggled. So it kind of was a nice, nice natural. Like, all right, we're gonna not gonna you're not gonna you're not a hitter anymore. Let's let's focus up. Let's be a pitcher. So for me, it was a very easy decision um, going forward. That hey, I'm probably gonna be a pitcher later on. But it was cool to be able to do it. Like my basically all three years at, at UCI or two years my injury, but um, it was cool to be able to, to go out there and. You know, my freshman year, I was I would warm up in right field, uh, and then they bring me in for like an eighth inning or ninth inning, um, and out of relief. So it was kind of fun. Like I did throw out my my pitcher's glove, and and uh, I'd go out there and toss toss an inning or try to get a save. So it was pretty fun. It was like little league. You you're just ready to play anywhere. Yeah, no, exactly. So like it was such like they literally throw out like the pitching coach would bring out the glove, and I'd come in from right field, and it was like. Like such like little league, like just kind of like like little kid vibes, just going out there and doing that. So it was fun. All right, so you had a bad oblique injury which sidelined you for your junior season. Was there any thought of going back for your senior season just because of the injury, maybe to improve your stock a little bit more, or were you just ready to go? Yeah, I mean, like I think our my agent's plan and, and my plan was, I mean, I'm coming back for my for my my redshirt junior senior year. Um, just because I, I really hadn't proven myself as a pitcher yet, and so for me, I was like going into that year, I was like, "All right, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be a stud. Like I've really worked hard, and I've kind of proven myself in like inner squads and everything else." And so when I got hurt, it's kind of like, "All right, well, I'll get better. I'll pitch in the summer ball, and I'll like, I'll be ready to go for next year, and like not really an issue." Um, but when I went to the cave and I ended up pitching like really well, like out of my mind. Um, the Orioles came and, and said, hey, we'll give you, like, we have an offer. Uh, they drafted me, so that was cool. I, they drafted me based on kind of what they saw, like, two from my first two years. Um, but they, I mean, it was cool because I mean, they gave me a shot and said, all right, we we, got, we came up with the money that you were asking for, um, and, and now I'm here. So it was, it was cool. And I mean, it was kind of unbelievable because I I don't think my agent thought that was going to happen, and I didn't think it was going to happen. So it was kind of, I had every intention of going back to Irvine until that moment. So, yeah, that's really cool. I mean, 
it's a pleasant surprise, right? Not a bad thing to go get drafted and play in the major leagues. Oh no, I mean, I I was st- I was stoked beyond belief. Um, I mean, it's it was just it was almost surreal because we it was almost like very unexpected. So um, it, just having that like I'm in I'm in Massachusetts. I'm playing in the Cape, and then I basically get flown down like from from Boston, and like I have to call like the coaches and everything to try to explain to them like all the stuff that's going down. So it was kind of, it was an emotional, definitely an emotional ride, but I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it in for the, for the world. I mean, I, I think I made the, the best decision for me. So in that case, it was definitely like a, a blessing. You, that yeah, is, no, that's like the best segue that we've ever had. That's what I'm talking about yeah. right there. So you pitched <laughs> in the Cape. Yeah, no, you I mean, are. It's amazing. Uh, you pitched in the Cape, right? You're actually the first person, nobody else that we've interviewed so far has talked about the Cape Cod League. Can you kind of give the listeners what it's like, what what's going on, and what exactly happens at the Cape Cod League? So it's basically the best experience of, of all time. I mean, if, if, if any listeners out there who are oh, who get invited to go there, I mean, it's 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 really, really cool. I mean, you're playing against the best the best college base, baseball players in the country. Um, you stay in like rad host families, just, um, nice people. Like you get a ton of fan. I mean, coming from the West coast, like Irvine doesn't get, I mean, maybe like 900 fans a night, like, which isn't anything at all compared to some of the Eastern Texas schools or, or like SEC schools. So for us to go out there and, and play in front of like two or 3000 people a night, um, just super nice people, uh, just playing against playing, having a, like, very laid back, having a good time, um, good atmosphere. I mean, it's, it's, there's really nothing like it at all. Um, and I mean, for for me, I play in the West Coast League. Uh, it's a summer ball league that goes from Oregon, uh, Washington, and Canada. And having long bus rides is brutal. And and for me as a player, I mean, our longest bus ride in the Cape was an hour. So it just kind of having that laid back aspect of, of, all right, well, we got a nice easy bus trip. We're going to play a game and we'll head back. We'll be home with plenty of time, plenty of rest. Um, so, and just, just in that sense, it's, it's definitely the best league out there. And it's, it's a great experience. Yeah. I heard many times from, obviously you see all the greats that have gone through that league and they always have high praise for it. And, you know, it's a good reason for it. A lot of high talent goes there. I mean, you're up in new England in the summer. It's a pretty great, a great area. I live in Rhode Island, so, you know, the Cape League's not far from me, and being up in Mass, you know, a bunch is, it's a really great place. I'm glad that people from, you know, all the way from California and everywhere else get to see. Did we lose, though? Did I lose you? All right, we're back. All right, sorry. sorry. sorry I lost it for a second. Yeah, yeah, I lost it for a second. So, speaking of, you were drafted, obviously, we talked about that. It's made a unique situation where you, you signed with Baltimore, correct? Right. And, and but the paperwork didn't go through exactly. Yeah, I mean it was. So I was because of what I my my situation because I I didn't sign right out of the right like right when I was drafted because I, I was like well I, I need to prove myself kind of thing. Um, I went to the Cape and and so I was we were planning on uh, being there. So when they the last time they saw me was about two days before the deadline. So then they flew me out the next day. I uh, got in kind of late, and the next day was the, was the signing deadline. And so just kind of, kind of just some some lateness on both parts. Um, we were there, and 
I guess it kind of just panned out kind of weird. I mean, I don't even I don't even know what happened. It just kind of was a weird situation. Um, so, but the paperwork got in late, um, and then so at that moment they said, "Oh, well, sorry, like, we're not so like, we're not signing you." So um, that was kind of an interesting process. Like again, like that kind of goes back to like the whole emotional like roller coaster I was going through at the time. Um, but luckily, like things worked out in the end. We kind of got it all figured out. It wasn't an issue of like, no, it really wasn't no one's fault. We kind of just had a little hiccup. Um, so with that, with that, it was kind of like, well, no, like this is no one's really fault. No one's at fault here. I could, I shouldn't be punished for this. And so MLB kind of was like, all right, it's okay. If you can, he can sign. So at that moment I was like, Oh, like, thank God. Like, this is like, this is perfect. You know, I, yeah, I get to play now and it all worked out in the end. Had to be yeah, a sigh was, of relief for sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it, and so I actually went. So for the week there, when they're deliberating, I actually went back to the Cape, and I was like, like right. I was like, so I I'd flown flown to Baltimore, then flown back to Boston, took a bus to the Cape, then took a bus back to Boston, flew down to to Florida where I started retraining. So it was kind of like I was just all like the whole week was just me traveling and living out of my suitcase basically so it was just kind of a, a crazy experience it sounds exhausting like that sounds like a hell of a week uh, it was it was anything it was just i don't even have I, i'm still speechless on like just my how i was feeling like i wasn't with my parents weren't with me which like i mean, i'm 21 years old but still at that moment it's kind of like a life a life-altering experience almost in a way where you know you you're it's a, a lot of uncertainty or like you don't really have anyone to talk to because I mean you're in a host parent you're in a host family's house and and so it was kind of a, a a maturing moment I think for me and like just kind of understand like hey like, this is a business this is I mean they they're trying to figure this stuff out you got to be patient so I mean it was it was crazy but I mean I'm here now so whatever it happens yeah, yeah I mean it's pretty it's pretty like unique though like. You can't really talk to anybody about it because it very rarely happens. So you definitely don't know anybody that it's happened to. So it's kind of isolating a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's like like when you try to tell us, I'm like, what? what? Like that's that's so weird. Like, but for me, I mean, I just put it, put it down on the experience ticker, right? I mean, yeah. I I don't think I'll ever go through a negotiation or or whatever it was like something like that ever again. So. Yeah, you're ready for arbitration, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So statistically, since you got to the minors, you've pretty much dropped in every possible category, stats-wise. Uh, is there something that you accredit to for your success to that? You know, is there a change that you made, maybe mechanical, something like that? Uh, I mean, for me, I, I didn't start pitching until my senior year in high school. So I was kind of... So I was kind of very much when I went to Irvine, uh, it was very like, untapped potential, kind of like kind of needed to figure out kind of my stuff with how to pitch and and how how to work different pitches and how to where to throw it and what works best for me kind of thing. So I was kind of a, a sponge, just kind of trying to learn everything I could as fast as I could because I was getting thrown in situations where I needed to throw and I needed to throw well. Um, so for me, a lot of it was just kind of maturing and figuring out um, like mechanics and figuring out what works best for me and, and, and just 
pitching more. So as before I was before I got hurt my junior year, I was I thought I was kind of primed to be be a guy for Irvine and and kind of have my breakout year. Um, and so I, I think I kind of proved that in the Cape when I kind of got healthy again. Of or he has learned figure out how to pitch. He has learned how to throw four pitches for strikes. He has he has moved on to that next level of of being a pitcher instead of just kind of a thrower. Um, so for me, I think just a maturity and, and throwing more really was the kind of um, factor for me that, that changed it all. That's, that's one of the biggest things that we talk about all the time, too. And I don't think that people that don't watch baseball enough or don't play baseball understand the difference between pitching and throwing because there's a significant difference. Much harder to become a pitcher than a thrower. You're born with that natural ability to throw 105 with Chapman, but to but to locate and mix pitches is, is, is such an art. Right, and, and and just going along with that, it's it's really, when you look at, like, when you go from high school where you can get by throwing 93 by people, but the moment you reach that next level of college, I mean, they're you throw 93 down the middle, they're going to hit it, and they're going to touch it pretty good. So for me, it was like, all right, well, now I need to throw different pitches, now I need to, I need to locate better. I need to. Um, I need to mix. I can need to throw a changeup more. I need to throw my curveball and slider better. Uh, I need to throw for strikes. Like they're not going to swing it out of the dirt. So um, just kind of maturing in that aspect of. All right. Well, let's 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 mature. Let's let's get to the business. Get down to business and let's figure it out. So I think that's probably why when people look at my stats like in college, it's I mean they're not good. They're not good. You know, and and that's just kind of for me. It was just. Figuring it out, I mean, it's a it's it's a long time, it's a long process. Um, I mean, you you see pitchers in the MLB kind of figuring out their stuff as seasons go on and as years go on, and people have to adjust and adapt, and that's really what I had to do going forward at Irvine and and into professional baseball. So that's, yeah, that's I, all. That's about it. Yeah, I mean, you see guys all the time middle of their careers, later in their careers. I mean, look at a guy like Daniel Murphy for the Cubs now. I mean, he was a nobody until, you know, that run with the Mets, and then he turned himself into a legitimate power hitter. And you look at a guy like Verlander, who used to throw gas, and now he's more of a pitcher. You went the opposite route, but to be so self-aware at a young age where a lot of kids, I mean, obviously, from you're, you're 21, you're a young guy, but when you're 19, you know, you probably were like, oh, yeah, I'm pretty good, you know, I'm doing all right. To be aware and kind of say, you know what, like, I need to kind of just tweak things, and I need to, you know, just adjust to make myself better. I mean, that's a great qualities to have as a, as a player and a person yeah and i think i think for me too it's like when someone tells you oh like you won't get away with this and in, in, in higher levels and then and then like ah no like it's you're full of it like I'm, i'll be fine and then all of a sudden you get in that situation and then you're getting crushed you're like all right well all right they were right i need to figure stuff out and i need to and i need to just be able to be more of a pitcher i need to do all these things that will help me in the long run. So for me, it's just like always improving, always trying to get better. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you've obviously been from California to the Cape League to, you know, the summer leagues, you know, down to Baltimore, down to Florida for spring training. And you're only going to go up. You're, you know, a very high prospect in the order system that is a very talented system given their recent, you know, failures at the major league level. But what's the best advice that you got on the way up and what's the best advice you could give to somebody kind of similar to you, someone that, you know, didn't pitch until they were a senior and, you know, they wanted to do hitting and pitching, but then they focused up, you know, what's the best 
advice that you could give? What's the best advice you've got to this point now for you? Um, I think just for me, um, you know, dealing with dealing with coaches and, and dealing with their their advice and, and dealing with their suggestions. Um, going into going into high school, I mean, my senior year in high school and college, you know, you're getting a lot of information thrown at you. Uh, you need to do this. You need to do that. You need to you need to load more on your back hip. You need to land softer. You need to do this. You need to do, like you get so much stuff, and and you try you try to fit into their their bubble or their their form. Um, and a lot of guys can't fit into a certain coach's like what they what they their motto or their their mechanical uh, bubble is. Um, so for me, I I. What I would what I would do is I would go talk to a coach or I would go see a coach and they'd suggest something. I'd try it out and then if I didn't like it, I didn't keep it. And I would tell them, "Sorry, I just I, did, I wasn't comfortable with that. It didn't work for me." And um, and so it's just kind of like find finding someone or fi- finding taking pieces of people's minds and, and using it for yourself. If that makes sense, like you don't have to take everyone's advice or suggestions, but you can, you can pick what you like and you can get rid of what you don't like. Because there is no right solution of how to throw harder or be a pitcher. It's all what you what makes you comfortable and what makes you throw strikes and be a pitcher. So, yeah. I mean, one one coach's opinions isn't the end all. It's you you go out and you find someone who you like and who you can appreciate and who and who makes you better. Like I. I, I see a guy now who he, he legitimately teaches like 12 year olds how to throw. And that's someone that I was like, I trusted and, and he understands me and he gets me. And, and he, in that way, you know, I, I like how he approaches it. Cause it's so simple. You know, it's, it's, it's his motto and it's his, it's how he operates. And some guys need like a more scientific, like driveline approach. And that's, and that's cool. Like you, you do what you do to get better. But for me, I need someone who keeps it simple. You know. So, I mean, for me, as talking to a younger kid, it's like, all right, you may not like what I tell you to do if I'm coaching them, but that's fine. So let's figure out what you need to do to get from A to B. It's all about having a toolbox, man. Like especially when you when you get all this advice, you know, take what you want and get rid of what you don't. It's all about getting better at the end of the day. And if a piece of advice even gets you a little bit better, do it. Yeah, and, and I've, I've gotten hung up on some coaches who, like, told me to do something, and, it, I mean, for a couple for like a couple of months I tried to do it, and I got totally messed up in the head, you know, and, and I couldn't I couldn't break it, and I was like, I couldn't throw a strike, and it was, it was an absolute mess because I was trying to figure out my stuff. But at the end of the day, I found the person that I liked, and, and he made me better. So, I mean, you'll find people who, who, who have a system that you don't like, and you try it out, and it kind of like messes with your head a little bit. But you got to go back to what you what you know how to do, and, and what makes you better. So that's just kind of my two cents on on that. So first of all, you've been absolutely incredible, and we we don't want to take up any more of your time, Dave. Anything, Dave? No, sorry. Yeah, I lost that for a second. Again. Good thing it's at the end of the episode. No, dude, thank you so much for coming on. I mean. You're only 21. You talk like you're 30 already, man. You're going to be an unbelievable major leaguer when it comes to, you know, poise and everything like that. So I can't wait to see you come out to Boston and pitch against the Sox. Awesome, man. Sounds good. Thank you. Thanks for having me on.